You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. was a story told of a father who was walking through a grocery store with his screaming baby boy in the shopping cart. A woman nearby noticed that time and time again, the man would calmly say, keep calm, Albert, keep calm, Albert. Finally, in, in admiration for the man's patience, as the child continued to wail, the woman walked up to him and said, Sir, I must commend you for your patience with baby Albert. To which the man replied, Madam, you've misunderstood. I am Albert. <laughs> Church, I share this with you because here we see a picture of the struggle of the human heart, wrestling to be patient. As people who suffer moments of frustration and irritability, how many of us can relate to the struggle of remaining patient during these moments? Truly, we strain to be patient throughout our lives. As one writer put it, all people recommend and even see the benefits of patience, though few are willing to practice it. It is a virtue you and I long to possess, yet do not always desire to go through the process by which it is grown. For there is something about hearing those words, be patient, Wait, hold on, not yet, that makes you and me uneasy, unsettled, aggravated. The toddler squirms as they are told to sit quietly for long periods of time. As he or she watches another child play with their favorite toy or hears from mom after church, wait, I'm speaking with another adult. The student tries to remain calm as you feel the pressure to perform in every area of life to be accepted and approved. There are those who fight to stay patient as you desire more for your career and relationships. An employee was impatient last Saturday as that Starbucks line threatened to make you late for that morning meeting as you endured heavy traffic or used slow internet. Just a while back, I, I had the fun privilege of dog-sitting a small white toy fox terrier named Hadley, of all names. And each day as I was preparing her food, she was jumping and barking, Hadley, if you listen to this sermon, I care for you, but you're impatient. But for many, I'm afraid these difficulties may be the least of your worries this Sunday. Because we Christians battle a particular form of patience, and that's waiting on God in times of trouble. The New England preacher Philip Brooks phrased it, feeling as though I'm in a hurry, though God is not. To entrust your well-being, plans, desires, and loves in the hands of the Lord, but feel God is taking his time to continue to engage in spiritual disciplines, though not see the evidence of your Christian growth to pray continually for the healing and deliverance from the pain of those near to you, wondering, will God respond to your cry for help? To believe that God has the power to rescue your mind from sin, but get upset that he just won't pull you out of your darkness, to, to see the injustice in our world and question, does God see any of this? When will he stop this? To believe God will move in the hearts of your non-Christian neighbors, but second-guess whether engaging 
non-believers will be fruitful. And this is where patience amid trial and trouble becomes a spiritual battle. Because as believers in Jesus, we've anchored our hope in the Lord. We've given our desires and will over to him, believing he will be faithful to care for us as his beloved. But in seasons of suffering, it can be tempting to suppose, Lord, I feel as if there's something so good for me, something I need that you're withholding from me. You're making me wait. And while we know in our minds that God hears our prayers, is familiar with our infirmities, we often question in our hearts whether God will come through in the way that we desire. We feel shaken during the time of waiting, and as a result, we waver in faith, losing hope in the goodness of God. And it would seem easier to take matters into our own hands rather than obeying Christ. How can you and I possibly Wait patiently for God in this world of uncertainty and discouragement. Well, surely if there was a group of questions who, Christians who dealt with this question, it was Pastor James's community. James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, a pastor in the early church, who pens this letter to a body of believers who have suffered unjustly at the hands of the wealthy and powerful in their city. This church community is discouraged, questioning, will life be like this forever? Has the Lord abandoned us? Must we fight back or will the Lord fight on our behalf? But James, imitating his brother Jesus Christ, assures them, God has heard your cries. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and good. He is not late, but has a plan of redemption and will be faithful to fulfill it. Thus, because of the trustworthy plan of God, you ought to endure until the end. Nevertheless, in a society like ours that encourages endurance to obtain a desired outcome, James is concerned with the wholeness, the single-mindedness, the character formation of the Christian, meaning the manner in which Christians endure trouble is as important as being delivered from that trouble. The way you and I endure is as important as when we arrive. True endurance not only involves pressing on to receive the desired outcome, but growing in the grace of God on our journey toward that outcome. This morning, we learn that true endurance is patient endurance. Patiently waiting for God is how you and I are to endure the trials in our lives. We can be patient in difficult times when we trust the character and purpose of our caring God. And in our passage today, James illustrates why God's nature and plan should compel us to stay patient in our trials. James opens up by telling us, we ought to wait patiently for God because he is closer than he may feel in times of trouble. God's nearness is the basis for the Christian's patience. Verse 7, James exhorts, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Remember, James is writing to a Christian community who has been disheartened at their low position in society. A perusal of the previous pericope, verses 1 through 6, describes to us how these believers Believers had suffered exploitation and humiliation at the hands of the wicked in their midst. They've tried to keep the faith, holding on to hope, but amid, amid much hurt, have wondered, God, 
How long until you answer our prayers for help? How long until you come to our aid? Will you rescue us? But James, as the pastor friend that he is, brings good news. Take heart, children of God, because your cries have reached the ears of your heavenly Father. God has heard. Your trouble has not gone unnoticed, but God has seen. And he has decided to intervene in your trouble, for he will act on your behalf, because one day will be the coming of the Lord. Friends, it was God, the author of life, remember, who created humans in his own image to glorify and enjoy him. But it was humans being left to the freedom of our own will that we disobeyed God's law, going our own way apart from him. We broke our union with God, bringing sin and misery into our lives. Unable to restore ourselves, we were all in bad shape. But the good news of the gospel, when the fullness of time had come, God loved us so much that he sent forth his son to redeem, to be the savior of his people. Through the merciful love of Christ, he gave himself for us, paying in full the debt of our sins. He died and was buried that day. But God raised him from the grave, and this Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of God as our all-sufficient Savior. And just as the Lord came to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time to save those who eagerly wait for him. And just as Jesus was faithful in his first coming, he will be faithful to come again, making all things right, to judge the wicked and deliver his people. When Christ returns, he will do away with suffering, rescuing his people in power and righteousness. For the coming of the Lord is certain, James wants to tell us this morning. In the same way, of the community to whom James writes, brothers and sisters, you and I live in anticipation of the return of Christ. On this side of heaven, we undergo seasons and situations where God does not seem near. It's as if he's distant, far off, and we long to be near to him. But may our souls be reminded this Sunday that God does remain close to us. He is not far from us, but the Lord is near to the brokenhearted saving the crushed in spirit. God is at work, James says, because God is near. Since God has heard the prayers of this congregation and his second coming is sure, James encourages you and me to be patient as we wait on Christ to save us from suffering. Be patient. To be patient is to remain calm and peaceful while awaiting a certain outcome. It's an expectant waiting on the Lord as we look for him to come to our aid. This is the response of the Christ follower in times of distress. Wait patiently for the Lord to show up. And as a church, this is our call this Sunday to wait patiently for the Lord to meet us in whatever trial we face. You ask, what does biblical patience look like? Well, James paints a picture for you and me. Patience looks like a farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. James illustrates for you and me that the farmer goes out and sows the seed, desiring to receive the crop one day to see precious fruit. Yet he knows that in order for the crop to be produced, he must wait on two seasons of rain. 
You see those early rains coming around October are essential to soften the ground for plowing. And the late rains occurring around April are essential to maturing the crops shortly before harvest. And James says, I want you to behold the farmer in your eyes, going out to sow, yet having planted the field can do nothing to make his own crops grow. Rather, he waits day after day, hoping for rain to arrive, although he himself is in anguish psychologically because he is not in control of when rain comes. With his livelihood dependent upon the rain producing his crops, he does not know whether the weather will fluctuate, leaving him helpless, but he has a surety. He is confident that something fruitful will come about. He has hope in the outcome which enables him to endure in the present. And while the farmer does not know when all will be well in his situation, you know what he does have? Expectation. The farmer expects that just as the rain came through the previous years, the rain will be faithful to come through this year. He knows the rain will come in due season. Therefore, he can be patient. He can remain calm and peaceful as he waits because he trusts that although he cannot see it now, that rain is sure to fall at just the right time. Church, is there anyone in the sanctuary who believes our God is more dependable than the rain that he sends? He is more trustworthy. He remains faithful. As the farmer expects the rain to show up at the right time, we can expect our God to show up in his timing. Has he ever done it for you? Has he ever shown up on your behalf? Has he rained down his grace upon your life, giving you new mercies every morning? God's answer may not be in the way we imagine. It may not come in our time frame. But as author Lisa Turquoise writes, God loves me too much to answer my prayers at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. In times of stress and uncertainty, James reminds us that we can place our confidence in God for he is close to us and our family God is there. At our workplace God is near and our disciple making God is with us and our evangelization God is present. So we can be patient brothers and sisters. We can patiently wait for God to arrive in his timing. After all, has he not carried us this far? As the farmer waits with longing and expectation, we are to wait for King Jesus to deliver us. In the same way the farmer trusts the faithfulness of God to provide early and late rain, we can trust God's faithfulness to provide for our everyday troubles. Patience. The kingdom is at hand. The Lord is near. The power to wait patiently lies in our belief that God is near and is moving all things to their intended end and for our good. However, not only does the farmer wait patiently with expectation, but there is an active piece to his patience, cultivation. Cultivation is continuing to work to the glory of God even when you see no results. Often when we hear the term patience, we mistake it for mere passivity, sitting around, doing nothing, just waiting on circumstances to hopefully work themselves out. And as a pastor on the college campus, I'm familiar with this version of patience being unappealing to those who desire more for their Christian life. 
Truly, between just a brief glance at American church history and a desire to be faithful to the teachings of Scripture, we too must reject this version of patience that is simply passiveness. But what James urges upon us is not a passive patience, but a Christian patience that does the good works of God while trusting in God. For patience is not merely passivity, but patience involves a little activity. And just as the farmer continues to cultivate, goes out every day weeding, fertilizing, what a word, even when his crops seem far away, friends, we are to do the same. One commentator expresses, while we cannot force God's hand or compel Christ to return according to any other timetable than God's, in the meantime, we must busy ourselves with kingdom work, contributing all that we can to the outworking of God's purposes in the world. In short, work while you wait. For those waiting to see the fruits of your Christian labors, transformation in those to whom you minister, or growth in your own spiritual walk, Keep cultivating those spiritual disciplines, trusting that God will grow you in due season. You may be believing to, for God to answer your prayer for help for him to move in a specific way. Worship him while you wait, for he is the treasure in your waiting. We're to grow in him as we wait. You who lament the sin and malpractice in our city, trust that nothing you do today is being wasted. But in your pursuit of the righteousness of God, advocating for the least of these, caring for the lost and lonely in our community, praying for God's kingdom to fill our lives, these are active ways to cultivate. There's a children's story of two frogs who fell into a tub of cream. One looked at the high sides of the tube, which were too difficult to crawl over and said, it is hopeless. So that frog resigned himself to death relaxed and sank to the bottom. The other frog was determined to keep swimming as long as he could. Something might happen, he told himself. He kept kicking and churning, and finally he found himself on a solid platform of butter and jumped to safety. This is the picture of a Christian who continues to churn, cultivating in a life of prayer, gospel mission, service and evangelism when the fruit might not be seen today, an image I myself need to be reminded of. What does it look like for you to cultivate while you wait? Paul said, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. James encourages us, us to be patient like the farmer. But in the meantime, he gives two actions we are to pursue while we wait patiently for God. First, we're to strengthen our hearts. He says in verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. To establish your heart is to be rooted, to be committed, standing firm in faith and not giving into doubt. As we wait, we are to fortify ourselves in the gospel, asking God to build our trust in him so that we may be anchored and not moved. God, help me to stand firm in your love. Help me, Lord, to remain committed to the hope of Christ. And the reason for this establishing of our hearts is because, again, God is near. The return of Christ, the coming of the Lord, James explains, is at hand. God is close. Nevertheless, James also knows that one of the temptations while waiting in times of trouble 
is for you and me to speak against one another in our distress, which is why he gives the second command in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. To grumble is to groan, complain, express discontent of others. Truly, there is something about enduring pain, feeling frustrated and fatigued from the lack of progress, that drives you and me to groan about our circumstances, though more importantly, one another. I experienced this in my own heart. Instead of waiting patiently, I would rather grumble. We saw this clearly in Exodus 17, where God's people grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. But James counsels us, no, this is not the call of the Christian. Do not let your frustration cause you to grumble against other Christians, taking your frustrations out on the church, at home, on the internet, for this is the opposite of patience, the antithesis of genuine faith. But true Christ-like patience bears with one another in love, showing kindness, though it may not be reciprocated, extending forgiveness, though it would be easier to withhold it. Moreover, there's already a judge. God is standing at the door, he sees and hears the things we say about one another, and he desires that we would be the kind of community to exercise patience with our brothers and sisters, just as he has shown us a whole lot of patience. Because God is close, we can be patient in times of trouble. But the question remains, I believe God is close and will answer in his timing. But Chris, I need you to tell me this. How do I know God has something good on the other side of my waiting? How can I be certain that my wait is worth it? Well, James goes on to tell us, secondly, we ought to remain steadfast in our trials because of God's good purposes in our trials. God's purpose, purposes give meaning to our problems. Verse 10, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now James moves to explain that in order to patiently wait for God to, to make it to the other side, it involves steadfastness continuing in spite of opposition. And James encourages, in the midst of uncertainty and stress, to look to the example of those who suffered affliction yet endured. In the same way that we celebrate those who have gone through hardship and pushed through, James says, in a higher and holier way, we count as blessed, approved and rewarded by God, the prophets who endured their hardship. When you feel it'd be easier to give up in faith, when you can't find the strength to keep moving forward, when the waiting is tough, remember the men and women of God who faced adversity but stayed patient in that adversity. Recall the faith of those who were pressed on every side, yet decided to press forward. The ones who persevered, trusting in God to fulfill his promises. And by looking to the way of the prophets who were steadfast, it will be an example for you to follow in your own trial. As you remember Jeremiah, the preacher who was mocked and beaten throughout his ministry, having only two converts in 40 years, but he continued to proclaim God's word. And Daniel, who was pushed into that lion's den for praying to God, but he patiently waited for God to shut the lion's mouths. 
and Elijah, who lamented being the only person in his community who wanted to follow the Lord. But the Lord comforted him in his distress. Or Moses, who chose to be mistreated with the Hebrews instead of enjoying the pleasures of Egypt, but even he made it to the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. What about John the Baptist, who was beheaded for preaching against the sins of his culture? But didn't Jesus say, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But in case you need a better example, James has, he's got stuff to say further. He says, I've got one for you. You have seen the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James says, if you need a model, if you need any encouragement to remain patient in your pain, remember Job, that righteous man from the Old Testament, the one of great character who feared God, the Bible says, turned away from evil. Nevertheless, it was on account of Job's uprightness that Satan attacked his life, stripping Job of nearly everything. And after dealing with three friends who essentially made his suffering worse and a wife who said, curse God and die, he could have resolved to do just that. But Job stayed firm in the faith. Through immense suffering, we read, and having no awareness of what took place in chapter one, Job remained steadfast. He cried out to God, complained bitterly, chapter after chapter. He challenged God, but he never abandoned his faith. He resolved to stick with God, to trust in the Lord as he went through. When it would have been easier to leave the faith, Job kept the faith. When he could have cursed God, Job continued his devotion to God, declaring, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. What a line. As one writer put it, the flame of faith was never extinguished in his heart. Surely, Job couldn't see God's good purposes in the moment of his suffering. Throughout the experience, Job never learned why God allowed this to happen to him. But as we recall the life of Job, we know what kept Job, his knowledge of God's faithful, loving character. Job remembered God's faithfulness. Job knew he would one day see the purpose of the Lord in his life. And, and of course, in chapter 42, we see what the Lord brought about, the outcome. In the end, God restored everything twice over in Job's life. This was the end. The purpose of God in Job's life to display his compassion and mercy. In like manner, friend, you may have entered the sanctuary this morning unable to see any purpose for the pain you've endured having no answer to the question of why to this point. You're left with just a tiny flame of faith that has yet to be extinguished. And you're just hoping God will carry you through to the other side. My only prayer for you is that you will be held by the compassion and mercy of God. It was the same love of God that compelled him to send his son to give his life as a ransom for you. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. For our sake, he, he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
but in the greatest act of patience in all human history. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured it all the way, didn't he? Crying out, it is finished. He was taken down and buried. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, we look to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who not only models how to be patient in times of trouble, but through his finished work on the cross has made it possible for us to be patient. To the person who's about to give up on prayer because you feel God has not heard, keep praying. Your heavenly father bends down to listen to your cries. To the one who's frustrated about the lack of fruit you see in your Christian life, keep cultivating for God is at work. To the man or woman who's about to give up ministering to your family, your children, your non-believing co-workers because you just can't see what God is doing, stay with it. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. Do not quit, beloved. Do not grow weary, friends. Don't leave, but hold on just a tad longer. Wait on him. Be patient. He is affectionate towards us, concerned about our miseries. He will save us at the right time. We will be blessed for our endurance. And as I close, this is a real close. <laughs> Friends, the gospel, the good news is that we who are in Christ have a destination that is secure. We know where our endurance leads for we're headed to glory with our Father. But we learn that true endurance today is patient endurance. Like the people of God all throughout the scriptures, patiently waiting for God is how you and I are to live the Christian life enduring the trials in our everyday lives. Nonetheless, in, in the midst of suffering and sorrow, may we live with expectation of our Lord Jesus to not only bring us to the end, but give us more of himself on the journey. Patience, as Presbyterian minister Peter Marshall prayed, teach us, O Lord, the disciplines of patience, for to wait is often harder than to work. May we patiently wait for you, Lord, this morning. Surely you are near to us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.